Before we jump into this self-control, let's uh, say together the John Stott prayer. I hope you've been um, praying this regularly throughout the series. So with me, Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you'll fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, felt, self-control. Oh, yeah. That threw me. So what is the, I want you to think about a time in which you exhibited great self-control. Maybe uh, you resisted a, a particularly strong temptation, or, oh yes, or you, uh, you squelched that, those bad words that were coming up because you were uh, being overwhelmed with your emotions. So I can't help but think about when I was a freshman in high school. And I was wanting to go to the state wrestling championship, but in my region, only the number one the wrestler, the gold medalist, got to go to state. And there was somebody in my weight class I didn't think I could beat. So I figured, all right, if I want to go to state, I'm going to have to cut weight and drop to a lower weight bracket, which was not going to be easy because I started the season at 140 pounds. I was wrestling 130 pounds. The doctor at the beginning of the season said, you should not wrestle below 130, but I was determined to get to 125. So in order to get to 125, and I, I shouldn't have done that, I ate um, a vegetable broth for two weeks. The only vegetables in the broth were stewed tomatoes and cabbage breakfast, lunch, dinner. If I wanted to eat something, it was the vegetable broth. And my mom was in on this, so you can, you know. I was just a kid. I wasn't responsible. <laughs> my brother Jim, he, he multiple times during the two weeks told me, this is crazy. I can see the bones in your butt. Stop it. But I was determined. Now, I made it, and I wrestled 125, but I'll, I never did that again. I never tried to win based on uh, losing weight for the rest of high school, all through college. I, I learned then that was a dumb strategy, because in the final match, I threw this uh, move on a guy, and, uh, which should have worked, but he was able to muscle me back. I was just weak from eating the vegetable broth, but at least I had some self-control. There we go. <laughs> What's that? Uh, what was that? I don't exhibit the self-control anymore. That's, yes. Thank you, Will. So, why do we need self-control? We need self-control in order to achieve our goals. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24-25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may be ab obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So Paul's saying, listen, uh, you know, a runner will discipline himself or herself what they eat, 
how they sleep, their training regimen, and they do that in order to achieve the goal of victory in this life to get a perishable wreath. He's talking about the kind of the Corinthian games. And in the same way, we Christians have a goal, and that goal is to please God and to fulfill the calling He has on our lives. And in order for that to be accomplished, we have to exercise self-control. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Uh, Deny yourself. So there are uh, desires that your flesh has, passions and appetites that are screaming to be satisfied. And in order to follow Christ, uh, we have to at times say no. And say yes to picking up the cross, which is not easy, right? That's inconvenience and suffering on behalf of other people and for the glory of God. And that will not happen apart from some self-control. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. The passions of the flesh, they wage war against our soul. Why? Because God is often calling us to do things that the flesh doesn't want to do. And uh, if we don't have mastery over our flesh, if we don't have inner strength, what this word self-control literally means, uh, then we we won't be able to Uh, fulfill God's calling on our lives. James chapter 1, uh, verses 22 and 25, we're told, be doers of the word and not hearers only. Don't be a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. God wants us to do stuff in the body. He has good works for us to do, and it's, it's more than just, I want to, and I, I, I know what to do. At the end of the day, it requires execution. It requires doing in the body. And that requires self-control. So what is self-control? Self-control is mastery over our passions and bodily appetites for the purpose of pleasing God and fulfilling His calling upon our lives. That's uh, the Christian self-control. A few more scriptures that uh, underline the value of self-control in the Christian life. Proverbs 25, 28. A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So in that day and age, uh, if, you, if you didn't have walls around your city, you were at risk. You were in danger of being pillaged. Uh, if If we do not have self-control, the evil one has an open field to our lives and can wreak havoc, and he will. So self-control gives us a lot of protection against the plans and the strategies of the evil one. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, we're told, make every effort to supplement your faith. So you have faith, you're a Christian. Now let's add to it some virtues. Supplement your faith with virtue, and with virtue knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, 
and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Here, here it is, verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. So self-control is something you have, but it's also something you can have more and more of over time. If you have these qualities and they are increasing, here's what they do for you. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You don't want to be an ineffective Christian. You don't want to be an unfruitful Christian, right? Ineffective, which means you're having no impact for Christ in the world. Uh, people look at you in your school, and there's no splash for Jesus that you're having. You're having no splash for Jesus in your neighborhood or in your family. We don't want that. We don't want to be uh, ineffective for Christ. We want, to be, we want our lives to count for the kingdom, absolutely. And uh, unfruitful. We, we want people to be able to look at our lives and say, ah, there's clear evidence that God is at work within you. There's clear evidence that the life of God is producing fruit in your life. I can see it. That's what we want. We don't want to be ineffective and unfruitful. And so in order to be effective and fruitful, uh, we need some self-control. Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us grace. Uh, I think of grace as having um, two definitions. One is unmerited favor, and the other is divine empowerment. And sometimes uh, one of those meanings is a little bit more in view than others. And here I believe it's divine empowerment. The grace of God is training us to do what? To renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to say no to uh, the temptations of, of the flesh, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. If you want to live an, an upright, godly life, you've got to have some self-control in the present age, because we live in a broken world, a world that is filled with temptation, and we have a sin nature within us. Spirit of God gives us the power to say no to the sinful nature, but it's there crying out to be satisfied, wanting to be noticed, wanting control, right? And the Spirit of God wants to give us uh, control of ourselves and under His authority. Without self-control, we cannot please God and fulfill His calling on our lives. And so, um, partnering, partnering with the Spirit of God uh, to increase in self-mastery, to increase in inner strength, to increase in self-control, uh, will have great payoff in our pursuit of the victorious Christian life. And Will, you are correct, I have not yet arrived. But the Spirit of God is producing it in me uh, more and more. Proverbs 23. I think of four, four primary areas in which uh, we benefit from self-control or where we need to exhibit self-control in our lives. Uh, we have to have uh, self-control over the body, self-control in our thinking, self-control in our emotions, and self-control in our speech. 
So we're going to run really quickly through that. See how the scriptures exhort us to self-control in these areas. So the first is the body. And the body, I think about, I've broken it into three sections. Uh, what we eat and drink, or what we put into our body. Uh, how we handle our sexual desires and uh, our productivity. So first, Proverbs chapter 23, we read this. Do not, uh, be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. The Bible says that uh, the body is the temple of the living God. God indwells us. God wants to use us. And I read somewhere that uh, over 90% of, the, of your energy for life comes from your body. And uh, are, are, is your body healthy? And so there are things that we can do. We can eat good, you know, eat food, healthy food. We can sleep well. We can exercise. We need to keep the body uh, strong so that we can have energy to go do what God has called us to do. So as it relates to food and drink, uh, partake in a way that will leave you healthy and in, uh, fully in control of your mental faculties. Now, there's a lot of pleasure to be had in food and drink, and God isn't wanting us to be ascetics, but He's also not wanting us to be gluttonous and to be left um, without energy. And... Um, you know, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink alcohol, but it says don't be drunk. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The issue is control. Never, ever give control of your mind or your faculties to anyone other than God Himself. Don't ever give it over to alcohol or to a drug. Okay, so food and drink, leave yourself uh, healthy and fully in control of your mental faculties. What about our sexual desires? You know, God gave them to us. This was revolutionary for me when I was a 14-year-old, and I was finally told, those aren't bad. God gave them to you. Uh, and it kind of went like this. God gave you the desire for sex. He wants you to have it, lots of it, but in the context of marriage. And that was revolutionary for me. I thought, okay, I can hold out for marriage. So here's the Bible. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 3 through 6. For this is the will of God. Your sanctification. What's sanctification? It's becoming more like Jesus in the way you actually live. If you're a Christian, you are justified. That means you've been declared righteous. You are positionally righteous before God. But then the Bible says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Become in practice more and more like you are in position. Become like Jesus in how you actually live. So that's God's will for you, your sanctification. Then he clarifies or specifies that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Do you have control over your body? Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. So if you're not a Christian... And if you don't aspire to living out God's uh, sexual ethic in your life, uh, what do we expect from you? You, you have bodily appetites, and you're going to go seek uh, to have those satisfied. And you'll, you'll seek it anywhere and everywhere, right? That, but, but you're not a godless person. You're a Christian. And as a Christian... Uh, we need to learn to control our own bodies in holiness and honor. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. What sexual immorality? Sex outside the context of marriage between a man and a woman. It's that simple. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Think about that. You're not your own. Another way to think about it is you're not alone. If you're going to go visit a prostitute, he's talked about that just a little earlier in the passage, guess who gets to come with you? Jesus. And he doesn't want to be there. Right? When you're looking at that on the internet, Jesus isn't wanting that. Take me away. Verse 20, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Glorify God in your body. So as it relates to sex, satisfy your sexual desires within the context of marriage. And so that can be a, that can be a motive for getting married. Fine. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. The assumption is you're pursuing. You've been looking. Nothing wrong with looking and praying and asking me for help. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. I have some leads. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What about our thoughts? We need to exercise control over our thinking. We read this, take every thought captive to obey Christ. You are in charge of your thinking. Now, Thoughts pop into your head. The evil one can put thoughts in your head. Marketers are certainly trying to put thoughts in our heads. Uh, so the thoughts that come into our heads we're not responsible for, but what we do with them. Take every thought captive. The assumption is you have the power to arrest that thought. And if it doesn't line up with truth and if it doesn't, if it's not going to produce uh, spiritual health, you put it in prison. You don't give it free, freedom to roam around in your mind and do its thing. And you say, no, that's not healthy. I'm not going to think about that. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What are you going to think about? I'll tell you, we, we have a whole lot of authority over and influence over what we think about. What kind of music are we listening to? What websites are we going to? What books are we reading? Magazines are we reading? What movies are we watching? And so if we're, uh, we can't just, listen, you, we cannot just uh, expose ourselves to anything that is titillating because we have a sin nature that is attracted to perverse things. Let's just call it what it is. There is, there, the sin nature is attracted to perversity. It's drawn to it. So you can't just go listen to and watch and uh, follow anything that's interesting to you. It will take you to very unhealthy places. So this is an area we have to exert serious self-control. What are we going to think about? 
Do you know that we can even have mastery of our emotions? I find this so empowering. Proverbs 16.32. Whoever, 16.32, the, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. You can rule your spirit. Now, uh, emotions just come, right? And but, and God gave us our emotions. Emotions are a great thing, but we've got to diagnose our emotions. And so when you find yourself angry or you're finding yourself afraid, you're finding yourself um, resentful, track that back. Oh, why am I feeling this way? And there's almost always some thought at the root of it. And then you ask yourself, is this thought rooted in truth, and is this thought reflective of faith in God? And if it's not, if that emotion is not rooted in truth or producing godliness in your life, then rule it and say, no, I am not going to, to feel this way. I'm going to adjust my emotion. And the Spirit of God will help you. He wants to help you. Finally, speech. We read this in uh, James chapter 1, 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. God wants your faith in Jesus Christ to, to even uh, influence what you say and don't say. My dad told me that when he uh, became a Christian in his uh, late 20s, the first thing the Lord worked on was his mouth and uh, his cursing. And God convicted him of that and, uh, and purified that. Ephesians chapter 4, 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Let no corrupting talk come forth out of your mouth. Elsewhere in Scripture, it even says, no coarse jesting. So, control the, control the tongue, and our speech needs to glorify God and build other people up. All right. None of us exerts perfect self-control. And you probably have become increasingly aware of your lack of self-control in certain areas. What do you do with that? Here's the good news. We can grow, right? If, if these are yours and in increasing measure. And you might never have been able to have, have mastery over a particular passion uh, or a particular bodily appetite. And for you, it's just been a string of... Uh, fits and starts in a string of failures, and actually you feel in bondage. You feel powerless in that area. I've been there, and that is a very distressing place to be. And it's hard to believe God's promise to, you know, I can do all things through, through Christ who will strengthen me. And uh, He can break the power of sin, sin's power in my life. And it kind of puts a lie to that, right? And how do I believe that when empirically that's not happening? Don't give up. 
the Spirit of God can set you free. I experienced that in my late 20s, and it was spiritually uh, revolutionary. It was wonderful. And I don't know the secret. All I know is that I got so desperate in this area that I would literally get down on my face. I mean, prostrate on the ground, my body shaking as I would plead, God, please, please, please help me say no. Please give me control. And day by day by day, and then week by week, and then month by month, and then year by year. And then I got to a place where I thought, I'm in control. I don't have to. And that's so empowering. The evil one wants us in bondage, right? But we can have control. He will help us. He wants to help us. Uh, In Philippians chapter uh, 3, verse 12, Paul writes this. He's been talking about uh, this sanctification and becoming uh, like Christ. He says, not that I've already obtained this or, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I, don't want, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. So here's Paul admitting, listen, I fail sometimes. I, I'm not perfect. But what do I do? I forget about the past. What does Satan want us to do? He focuses on, he wants us to focus on our failures and go into the woe is me spiral, right? That's called worldly sorrow. That's not from God. God gives us conviction. Convictions, it leads to repentance, which leads to life. Conviction says that was wrong. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Help me to do better. And so see what Paul says? I forget about what's the past and I press on. God's not interested in you crying over your spilled milk. He's interested in helping you live the victorious uh, Christian life from here on out. So, if you're a Christian, accept the forgiveness that you have in Christ. It's yours. You know, when we take communion, um, it's, it's a giant reminder and a regular reminder that my sins are forgiven. They've been taken away as far as the east from, from the west. Christ's uh, death is sufficient payment for my sin. And then we move forward uh, in that confidence of forgiveness and empowered by His Holy Spirit. So we can grow in self-control. Final point is that, uh, surprisingly, counterintuitively, self-control begins with uh, giving up control. We give up control of our lives to God Himself, and we say, here I am, I'm your servant, Uh, have your way with me. And when we truly give up control of our lives, absolute surrender to the Lord, the, the surprising thing is the Spirit of God Uh, ends up giving us greater control over ourselves. Isn't that awesome? If you wouldn't mind bowing your head, closing your eyes, and um, God wants to give you greater self-mastery so that you can say no to the things that uh, tempt you and yes to God's calling upon your life. And some of the yes is uh, self-sacrifice and difficult, and you need His help to say yes to that. So right now, where, where is it? What, identify the, the number one place the Lord is challenging you, where He's saying, look, I want to help you have self-control in this area. 
Would you invite him into that? Will you just name that in your own mind and heart and say, God, would you please help me? Spirit of God, thank you for the fruit of the Spirit that you produce in us. We believe that, that life to the full is found in obedience. And we want to give more and more of our control of our lives to you so that you have your beautiful way in us. Jesus Christ, thank you for making all this possible through your sacrificial death upon the cross. And it's in your name we pray.